Hey listener, Editing Chris here. At some point, Hallie's track has a bunch of clicking noise. Uh, it comes and goes. There's not a whole lot of it. I don't know what caused it. I didn't know how to get rid of it. I'm sorry. But there's a lot of good stuff in this episode, so I hope you listen anyway, and we'll see you again in our Tuesday episode on persimmons. Hello and welcome to Ask One to Grow On, our mini-episode series where I answer your questions, queries, and concerns. Today we actually have two guests on, which we don't usually do for Ask One to Grow On episodes, but we, it's kind of a special topic and I really wanted to get their input and their feedback um, and they're just like include them in the process of, of kind of asking these questions uh, and then answering them together. So today on Ask One to Grow On, we have Chris Casey. Hello, I'm Hallie's dad. And our first ever normie guest, Joanna <laughs> Casey, my very own sister. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> so we, ha- we actually have a lot of questions uh, today. This was inspired by actually Joanna, which is why she's here, because she has had a lot of questions um, and conversations with friends and people about how the COVID-19 virus is impacting the agricultural supply system and the the food system more generally. Um, And so I thought maybe she could collate some questions for us and we could just go through and and talk about it. Um, If you don't want to listen to more virus talk, no hard feelings. We have a new episode coming out on Tuesday that is not going to be virus related at all. But this was just something that's really topical. And so I wanted to kind of get two folks on the horn um, and chat through and just kind of talk through and process a little bit. So, Joe, do you want to kick us off with our first question? Sure. Okay. Um, so I think probably the most common thing that I've been asked in the, uh, in the past couple, I don't know, week or two weeks or so is, um, how, like what's going on with restaurants? So, um, one of my close friends just asked me, like, they aren't restaurants at the end of a really big agricultural supply chain that's different and not connected to grocery stores. Um, so, like, how how are those farmers who usually supply to restaurants doing? Like, what what are they doing now? Yeah, that's a great question. I want to say, first off, there's not a lot of national or international data at all on how this is impacting specific sectors of the economy. Like we can see the stock market generally is not doing well, but looking more specifically at like agriculture and like, how is this impacting farmers? I have info on how it's working in Austin through my work that I'm doing at my job, but I don't have information beyond that other than like yeah I'm on like some listservs and I've been reading you know some white papers and some letters that different national organizations have been putting together uh so I've been trying to tune into the conversation but there's not any like data at all so what I've been seeing is farmers that are selling and we're already set up to sell direct to consumer are doing really well Right now, people aren't eating out, people are purchasing more grocery goods, and people are trying to continue to eat healthy. And so those farmers that were selling at farmers markets or had CSA set up or were doing, you know, delivery options are doing really, really well. 
Uh, farmers that were selling exclusively to restaurants have lost 100% of their client base and are having a really hard time pivoting to completely change their marketing operation. So that's that's what I'm seeing currently. Okay. Oh, I'm so, uh, <laughs> so confused. What What's a CSA and how do uh, farmers sell directly to consumers when they're not at a farmer's market? Yeah, so a CSA is, stands for Community Supported Agriculture. And basically, you can, as a person or as a family or sometimes like friends will split it between multiple people, you just get a share of general veggies. So it's like a pre-made box that is like whatever we're harvesting, you get, you know, we split it between 50 people or 100 people or whoever, however many shares we have in our CSA. And you get a box and you don't necessarily know what it's what's in it every week. So just like a random box of seasonal veggies. Yeah, it's like what's in season now. So, so you, it can include eggs. It can include meat. Um, but yeah, usually it's it's just going to be veggies. Sometimes you get some fruit in there as well. Unfortunately, it can also include okra. Yes. Yeah. There's like jokes among people who subscribe to CSAs like cabbage and okra and kale and like some of these things where it's just like kind of dead of winter crops. And like when they come, they come in the hundreds. And so then you're just like eating nothing but like pounds and pounds of cabbage for two or three weeks. So what are farmers who were completely sourced to restaurants doing? Like, are they being able to set up their own CSA systems? Is there something, at least in Austin, I know that's the only the only site that you can speak to, but mm-hmm. is there something that they're being able to do to pivot and directly sell now to a consumer? One of the things that's been really cool about working at my job during the pandemic is that I personally, I'm kind of in the front lines of seeing all of the amazing ways that people are trying to support their food system here in Austin. And so like at my organization, we have farmers markets. So we have a pretty large network of farmers and I am kind of the designated person to field other market inquiries. So I get emails almost daily of people being like, hey, I have this app that I'm trying to like connect farmers to customers or like, hey, I have this restaurant or I have this grocery store or, you know, hey, I'm trying this new thing and we're trying to buy from local farmers because we know that people are hurting. So very cool here. It's amazing here in Austin. There's a lot of like really cool options for farmers. And part of what I'm doing at my job is trying to reach out and connect with those farmers that are selling directly to restaurants and like helping them pivot their operation because it's really like a weird thing to do. I mean, it would be weird for any business if like you have a client base and you know exactly who they are and you've been working with them for years and then they just all disappear and you have to like completely try and start a new strategy for selling your your products. Yeah. It's a really weird like thing for a farmer to do. And they're also in the middle of planting season. So it's they're just dealing with a lot right now. And they're also dealing with labor shortage. Because folks are, you know, having a hard time coming out if they are an at-risk population or if they care for someone in their home that's in an at-risk population. There's a lot of interesting options. Usually farmers that are selling directly to restaurants are smaller as well. Um, usually they're a little bit bigger often than, than farms that are selling directly to consumer because restaurants often are buying in higher quantities, uh, but not necessarily. But you still are looking at, at pretty small farms um, that have, you know, a network of, of buyers. And so 
they're, you know, usually pretty vulnerable in dealing with a small margin. So, mm. yeah. Okay. So they're, I mean, that's to be expected that like the smallest groups are the ones that are the most vulnerable to impact on this scale, I suppose. Um, my other question, and I don't even know if you'll be able to answer this or one of my many other questions is how long does it take? Can they just go into grocery stores? Like a farmer who was going to only restaurants, can they just pivot and like just supply to a grocery store chain now? Is that something that's doable? Mm -hmm. So that is usually up to the farmer and the grocery store as like a relationship. Um, we actually like at my job like approached HEB and Central Market which are two larger grocery stores in our region and said like hey would you be willing to buy locally and they said like yeah sure but we can't change our onboarding process for vendors so their onboarding process for vendors is really set up for larger farms and they have some requirements that are really onerous for smaller farmers where they just do not have the time they don't have the capacity they don't have the funds to like set up this infrastructure to address the the onboarding requirements for these larger grocery stores and they're not like I'm not trying to get on here and call out HEB and Central Market like there are really good reasons why grocery stores have to have certain requirements and we're in a really weird time generally speaking like I'm not trying to get on here and like blast them they do amazing things for for the um local food scene here in in Austin specifically again I can't talk more broadly nationally because that's not my expertise. Uh, but there are some smaller grocery stores in Austin that don't have to like stick with those really intense onboarding processes. And so they are able to bring on more local producers. But it's just like about relationships and it's just about like, you know, do do you does this company trust this other person to you know bring in quality product on time, reliably? Mm-hmm. Uh, and because like when you get down to it, the food system is just run by a lot of people. Sometimes that can be tricky, just navigating those relationships. I don't know. It's kind of frustrating. It's like one of those things that makes so much sense when we're in a normal functioning society when it's not Mm -hmm. all like going to pot like it is right now um but it's right now i'm just like everybody go buy from the people who has extra supply and nobody to sell it to so one of my other things is like they're technically restaurants are still open right but only for carry out or delivery um Mm -hmm. why like why are they essential why does that count as an essential business i understand why restaurant i mean why uh, grocery stores count as an essential business because they're like a direct access food point but why can't people just cook at home all the time i have a guess yeah yeah what's your guess my guess is they're not we're just trying to you know on a wing and a prayer hope they don't all go out of business mm, mm. interesting so Yeah, so restaurant dining rooms did close in a lot of cities, including here in Austin. Um, All bars closed here in Austin as well. I think that that's also pretty common across the U.S., but I haven't been keeping super up to date. Um, However, like, yes, people can cook at home. But if you are a student or if you're someone who's disabled or otherwise have, 
you know, problems accessing the kitchen uh, or, you know, cooking implements, it can be really hard for a lot of folks to cook their own meals. If you're a doctor who works 19 hours a day, you might not have time. And so you need to purchase prepared foods that you that are just ready to eat. So having delivery and takeout in addition to, you know, helping economically support these uh, support these small businesses through a hard time can also improve food access and, you know, improve all these other things within the economy. And that does shed a, a new light on it for me. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you were talking about the um, CSAC. Mm-hmm. Now I can't even remember. Is that the correct acronym? CSA? Yeah, Community okay. Supported Agriculture. Community CSA. Supported Agriculture. Okay. So you were talking about the CSAs. What are good resources for people to be able to access them? Is there like a website where they're all compounded? People can find local ones. Um, that seems to be the most sensible way for people to access direct uh, local produce. Is that true? Yeah. So there are a lot of different options for purchasing directly from a farmer. Um, CSAs are usually available directly from farms. So you kind of have to know what farms are in your area. My organization is a nonprofit within the city. And so we are kind of known as like a food entity. So we put together a food access list that includes a lot of info on CSAs. There might also be other organizations near you, wherever you're at, um, that have to do with food access or have to do with, you know, farmers that have put together lists like that. You can also purchase, uh, there are delivery options. So there, are, I can put some links in the uh, show notes. There are things, one of them's called Barn to Door, I think. Here in Austin, we have ones called Farmhouse Delivery and Farm to Table. There's a whole list of other like national ones. And I can put some more info on that in the show notes. Uh, in terms of CSAs, it's really specific to the farms, but there are some of these delivery organizations that some of them are nonprofit, some of them are for profit. And they operate more nationally, but usually they try and, you know, get local food to local people. Very cool. So if you don't either you don't know how to access a CSA or you don't have a direct CSA, but you do have a farmer's market, can you still go to farmer's markets? Like farmer's markets are relatively small. And if you're, you know, trying to stay away from people, do you think that's still a decent idea? Stay home. Don't go anywhere. (laughs) So... I agree with dad. It is good to stay home. It's also important to have food and purchase food. Yep. Um, here in Austin, the farmer's markets were classified similarly to the grocery stores. And I think that from in my opinion, that was a really wise move made by Mayor Adler. Uh, other cities might have closed their markets. They might also be open. You have to check uh, with your local farmer's market entity and your local public health organizations. Um if you do go to the farmer's markets, from what I have seen online of other markets, I know what we're doing at our markets, but from what I've seen of other farmer's markets, there's a lot of really good guidelines out there that farmer's markets are following. Um, at our markets specifically, farmers are you know doing a lot of pre-packaging where they you know, pre-bag all the foods. So when you get there, you can just like take it and go. You don't have to handle the produce and neither does the farmer. The farmers are wearing gloves. There's a lot of hand sanitizer. Um, We have like kind of like bouncers that are very friendly that, you know, try and help people like keep a safe distance between each other. You know, it is important to buy food regardless of if you're going to buy it at the grocery store or at the farmer's market. You're going to have to interact with other people. Um, 
And so if you can do that at the farmer's market, if you can help support farmers, that's amazing. Uh, but yeah, it is also important to take care of your health. And so if there are delivery options in your area, go ahead, look into those, keep yourself and other people safe as much as possible. So if you can do a CSA delivery system, if you can't, then it wouldn't be there. Yeah, there are also apps. So like here in Austin, we have an app called Vinder, V-I-N-D-E-R. There are other apps in other towns uh, that basically, it's kind of like DoorDash, but for farmers, like farm fresh food. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of, 2020 is a great year to be alive. (laughs) So there's a lot of options for getting farm fresh food to you delivered. Uh, Yeah, you might have to do some digging for your area, but there are options. I bet you're not going to hear a lot of people say 2020, 2020 is a great is year, a to, great be year alive. to be alive. Yeah. But to be fair, <laughs> if we were alive at another time during a pandemic like this, we'd probably not be doing as well as we are. Yeah, that's so, yeah. there's a lot of you know, really cool resources out there and yep. you know, tools. So, And a lot of people go, doing good work, which is a really cool. I will keep saying this. like It keeps blowing my mind every day I show up to work. I mean, I'm working from home, but I show up on my computer. I have my work computer. <laughs> show up to and Zoom. I just, it just like blows my mind how many people are doing like really, really, really cool work that is like helping support their community. So if they uh, do get a CSA or they go to the grocery store, I mean, well, obviously they're going to do something to acquire food. When they acquire that food, is there like a best practices for washing produce? So w- from what I know, and this is not my area of expertise, I think, I think that the CDC guidelines say that the virus cannot live on inanimate objects for more than three to four hours. Feel free to fact check me and at me on Twitter and say that I got that wrong. If I did, I might have. Definitely it's not my double area of expertise. Yeah, but I think that that's, that's the guidelines from, to my knowledge, that those are the guidelines. Three to four hours, the virus can't live on inanimate objects. You should always be washing your produce. Please wash your produce, you guys. You guys wash your produce. It's good to wash produce, regardless of if we're in a pandemic or not. It's always good to wash your produce. How, though? Do I just, like, take a scrubby brush to it? I dunk it in some bleach? Like, what's the system here? Just some I wouldn't more bleach water? It. Do not <laughs> bleach, bleach it. your food. <laughs> I was joking. Dude, just some warm, warm water, water will that good. do it? Okay. Yeah, generally warm water is good. Um, If it's something uh, that has like more dirt on it, you can get some soap involved. I've had to do that with potatoes before that are like a little bit crusty. So get some soap involved. Um, But yeah, warm warm water will usually do the trick. If you want to, you can. uh, Dad, were you telling? Did you tell me about this video of like a doctor that that like? Yeah. So there, there's, and it's one of the highest viewed videos on YouTube right now. There's this doctor that demonstrates bringing in his grocery bag and he divides up his kitchen table into two halves, the clean side and the unclean side. And he puts his groceries down on the unclean side and then he'll pick them out one by one and disinfect each piece and then put that down on the clean side. And if it's a piece of produce, then he'll take it out and put it in the sink to wash. Yeah. So like you just small practices like that, thinking about where things could have been contaminated. Um, it's great. It's great practice, generally speaking, and especially when we're, you know, in a pandemic. Nice. So since we're trying as hard as we can to not like go outside um, and minimize our time at grocery stores or farmer markets or what have you, um, is now like the primo time to start your home garden? <laughs> 
Everyone is gardening right now. Everyone. <laughs> I thought everyone I thought gardening. everyone was making sourdough bread and watching Tiger everyone King. Everyone is also making sourdough bread. <laughs> My friend Emily tweeted about like how to make bread. She she has like this amazing Twitter thread about like how to make bread at the end of the world, and it got picked up by like every single news outlet. It's wild. That's amazing. Uh, yes, everyone's making bread, and also everyone's gardening. I actually and uh, watching Tiger guessed- King. Yes, apparently. I just found out about this show. I'm so behind. Uh, I just guessed it on a podcast called The Horticulturati, and it's hosted by two landscape Wait. designers and landscape art- architects. It's called The um, What? A- Horticulturati. I can, I'll can. i put a link oh, in the show notes. okay. That's um, yeah, but they like mentioned that they, as landscapers, have had a hard time getting potting soil because everyone is gardening right now. <laughs> wow. Everyone is gardening right now. Okay, so that brings me to another question that somebody had. Is there something I can do, like, as a non-agriculture thing to help support, or as a non-agriculture person to help support, like, the agriculture industry? Like, uh, you know, there was, uh, what's it called, victory gardens in World War II, you know? Is that something that you foresee or you think would be useful? Generally, I think gardening is a very radical act, and we can do a whole podcast episode about that. Uh, gardening is awesome. Wait, what do you mean by radical act? I feel like you just dig a hole and put stuff in it, right? Like, No, it's very radical to grow your own food. It's amazing. Uh, you don't have to be gardening, though. That doesn't have to be the thing you do. If you want to support the agricultural industry, I can put links in the show notes to some funds that are like relief funds for farm workers and for hospitality workers. That is like... I would, you know, try and buy from local farmers. Try and plug into what's happening in your own city locally. Uh, and just try to support your community and give back where you can. Here in Austin, there are some cool organizations that have started uh, giving grants out to farmers in need after the virus. And I think that that's happening in other cities, too. But you're going to have to go and find that yourself. But, yeah, I would I would try and support in whatever way you can your local food system and your local food community. So um, doubling back to, like, the... Um supporting your local community as well as gardening if you are gardening um how like can we still go to nurseries is that cool if so like should i go to home depot or should i go to like a local smaller nursery are they going to be open like what don't go anywhere stay home (laughs) (laughs) pretty much so most nurseries have closed uh for the time being at least uh, your local nursery might not. I would still recommend staying home. There are a lot of delivery options. Some local nurseries have also switched to doing like a drive-through option where you can order online or you can order over the phone and you can just go Drive and they put it in nursery. your car. And, yeah, yeah. I would like-, like try and find an option if you want to garden. Try and support local businesses. Try and also minimize your contact with other people. Uh, and if that is you driving through a nursery, maybe that's it. If they haven't switched to something like that, I would maybe still order online, even if you're not supporting a local business. There are small businesses that are still, you know, selling starter plants online. So you can still be supporting a small business. Uh, yeah, that's what I would do. Okay, cool. So find a way to support a small business. I mean, they are more, they are the most likely to be hurting first. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, okay. To be clear. Everyone will be hurting. Yes. I don't want to like minimize the plight of large companies, but also, mm-hmm. well. Yep. Everyone, yeah. everyone will be hurting. And I just, 
I want to double back to something as well, because you said to your knowledge that the virus remained viable on inanimate objects for a few hours. Mm-hmm. And I could have sworn there were a couple places where I'd heard days. And I think this is one of those things where I definitely do some research for yourself and make sure because I bet we're at the point where the dust hasn't settled enough to have good information. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. Um, and when you're buying your food, regardless, you should be practicing good uh food safety practices, um, you know, bagging your food. I usually use reusable bags. I'm using more of those like tiny little thin plastic bags for my produce now, just because they're, it's more of a barrier than the reusable bags that I've been using, which have, you know, holes in them. Uh, if you're purchasing from a farmer or, you know, at a farmer's market or something like that, trying to pick up stuff that's already been prepackaged, all of that stuff can can really help. And you can also like talk to the nice thing about going to farmers markets is you can talk to the farmer and be like, hey, when you package this, what kind of food safety you know, protocol did you have in place? Were you wearing gloves? Were you wearing a mask? Were you, you know, sanitizing? How what does that look like? And you can really know more about where your food is coming from. I never would have thought to ask someone that. Yeah. Just talk to them from standing six feet away. (laughs) Totally. Talk standing six feet away. You can get a ton of information about how your food was grown and handled by talking to the farmer. That's very smart. Okay. On to the cheery questions. Yay. That was sarcasm. Okay. Um, So uh, how... How do you see this playing out in the long run for farmers and the agricultural supply chain? Not necessarily like we know that you don't have the full data yeah, at your fingertips, but your gut reaction as somebody who's worked in this industry and seen how it works, how do you feel like it is going to go? Come on, Hallie, look into that crystal ball and tell Oof. the future. Oof, y'all. Oof. Okay. Uh, Unfortunately, I think that this is going to put a lot of small farmers out of business. Uh, I mean, it's going to put all kinds of small businesses out of business, and that includes farmers, I think. Um, There's a lot of tools that are being put together and resources that are being put together at the federal level to try and support farmers to minimize that loss as much as possible. But I still think that it will happen. The thing that I'm really hoping will happen and that personally in my work day to day, I'm hoping to to be able to use this as a moment to grow from is I think that this pandemic is really underscoring what it means to have a robust and resilient and decentralized food system in a way that was really hard to explain to policymakers and to members of the public and to anyone who wasn't, you know, intimately involved with the idea of local food mm-hmm. and what that really means. But I mean for for the grocery stores that I'm working with, if their their suppliers are like maybe two to three companies for produce. And what? so if one person at that packaging plant gets sick, then everyone else at the packaging plant gets sick. Oh that God. labor is shut down and there's no produce, right? Except for the grocery stores that you work with? Yeah, they yeah. get so for the grocery stores I'm talking food to. from one to two places. Yes, yeah, that is insane. Yeah, in terms of aggregators and and distributors, yeah, it's usually like one to two companies. I mean, t- I think I said two to three. I think two to three is probably pretty accurate. Um, oh my 
Yeah, so like that's extremely fragile, that's and really that's like really me the. Out. <laughs> <laughs> I think that <laughs> seeing what it looks like to live in a world with this amount of like pressure being put on it, um, it it's becoming a lot clearer what a value it is to have local food and to have local food producers. Um, and to have like a decentralized food supply system, like we don't really know what the different points of contamination could be if you're having food that's handled by six different companies. But if you're going to the farmer's market and you're talking to your farmer and, you know, you're picking food up from your farmer that your farmer picked or your farm, your farmer's farm worker picked, um, having an option for for decentralized local food, like food supply I think is is making it much clearer why it's important to be supporting agriculture in all of the different ways um, and all of the different shapes it can take. Because I also wouldn't advocate for a 100% local food system because if, you know, we had a tornado in Austin and all of our food was local, then we would be, you know, SOL. But having a, a food system that is resilient and robust and decentralized in a way where it can be flexible and it, it can still support people even in a time of crisis I think is a really important conversation to have during and after this crisis Oof. all right Jojo is that all of the questions <laughs> yeah we got more questions um uh I don't I genuinely don't know if you'll be able to answer this last one so I was not sure if I was okay ask it. it was Bring um it. it was how are farmers and farm workers staying safe or going to stay safe during and after this pandemic? What a, what a great question. You know, given how our episode on farm workers' rights went, yeah. I don't know that <laughs> much has changed for farm workers, quite frankly. Yeah. Maybe some of them. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, so farm workers particularly in larger agricultural systems, usually live extremely remotely and they have little access to health care. Um, so that is extremely dangerous, especially during this time of crisis. Um, a lot of farmers are older as well. The average age of the American farmer right now, I think, is 58. Um, and that's average. That's average. So a lot of them are much older than that. So... They're definitely an at-risk population. Farmers also tend to have more respiratory issues than the average American. So they are also at risk in that way. Cool. Uh, this is definitely something that is going to be impacting the people, the individual people that grow your food and that move your food um, and get it to you, to your market. Uh, yeah, support where you can. I'm going to be posting resources in the show notes. And also like think about how... Your choices in buying are impacting how your local food system can function, um, and not just in the time of crisis, in all times, because it's helpful for once we get to that time of crisis to have a really robust food system. It is going to be a really dangerous time for a lot of farmers and for a lot of farm workers and for a lot of just consumers, people who are eating. We're all being impacted by this, and hopefully we can all be kind and support each other and you know, do our best to get through this together. Dang. Dang, indeed. Well, thank you, everyone, for your questions. Thank you, listener, for listening. Thank you for Joanna for proxying and, and for joining us for a great conversation. 
Yeah, thanks, Dad and Joe. And I really want to quickly want to thank Maggie and Stephen and Amy and Adel and Kathleen for all of your questions that made this possible. Um, I did want to circle back to one thing. So you were talking yeah. about how an upside of going to a farmer's market is that you can directly talk to your uh, supplier and ask how your food is being handled. But mm-hmm. um, would that not be the same case if you had um, some CSA type of direct delivery system? Yes. Yeah. If you're doing okay, a CSA. So I could like email them or call them or whatever. Delivery. Totally. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you can follow your farmers on Instagram. They have great Instagrams usually. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of ways to connect with your local food system and your local farmers. And yeah, I hope you enjoy that. Usually there's a lot of good chicken pictures on there. Some lovely sunset pictures. That's like a good staple of the farmer Instagram. Hit them up. Give them some likes. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Holly, for answering all of our questions. And thank you to all. I'm so excited. I'm finally on an episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you've been on the Patreon content, but not an actual episode. Yeah, here I am. Glad you're here. (laughs) Long-time listener, first-time participant. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to this mini episode of Ask One to Grow On. If you have your own questions that you like answered, they can be about COVID-19 or they can be more generally about agriculture. You can email us at one to grow on pod at gmail.com or post with the hashtag ask one to grow on.